Hi drivers, finally we're doing an episode on fitness and in this it's one hour long but we talk about hydration, food, how to train, how to warm up and even a little bit of Lewis Hamilton. Enjoy this. Hello, Matt. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Race Driver Coach Show. Um, it's great to have another interview, and this is another sports-specific interview on fitness. And obviously, you see it a bit more than fitness. But I just want you to—I um, just want to introduce you to the the community because it's getting bigger now. And everybody who is watching this and listening to this is just interested in just improving themselves as a driver. And we get all sorts. We get beginners, and we get experienced people, and they all just want the latest tips on how they can perform better. Simple as that. So who better than yourself? So just uh, a few minutes to explain what you do, what you've done, and your story, so everyone can sort of catch up and get to know you, really. Sh well, it's, a long, it's a long story, unfortunately. I know. Hello. Um, so, <laughs> so I started uh, I started as a sports therapist. Uh, that, was, that was where I first started out. Um, and, uh, and I started working in football. So I worked in professional football at... Uh, Coventry City, Derby County, Birmingham City, um, football clubs. So I worked in the Premiership um, and, uh, and worked with a lot of, of really, really talented footballers. Um, from there, uh, some, uh, a company that I'd done some, some training with, some of my courses, um, they had also done some training with uh, some guys that worked at McLaren. Um, and those, those guys came to, to, to that institution and said, can you recommend five or six people that we can interview for a role with the uh, McLaren test team? Yep. Uh, this was at a stage, this was what, 2002, 2003, when testing was, was open. Uh, an F1 team could test as much as they liked. Um, oh, yeah. So I was interviewed um, uh, by a gentleman called Jerry Convey, who's a really good friend of mine now and also oh, yeah. a fantastic trainer. Works with uh, Mercedes, with their Formula E team, and, and so on and so forth. I like him a lot. Uh, he interviewed me, and uh, he gave me the job. Um, and I then went on to spend the next three and a half years at McLaren, working with all their, their drivers on the test team. So we would be out testing pretty much every week. Drivers-wise, the first driver I ever worked with was David Coulthard, yeah. um, which was uh, a bit of a shock, uh, just to be thrown in at the deep end with him as a... A 23 year old as I was at the time. <laughs> uh, you really so, had to do uh, bootlaces up there and tuck in and throw everything at yeah, that. Yeah, but he, I, I couldn't have wished for anybody better. He's such a nice guy and um, it's so easy to work with. So, so that was a, a great initiation. Um, I then worked with Pedro de la Rosa, Alex Birch, Gary Paffitt, um, and in the last few months of being at McLaren, Lewis Hamilton. Okay. Um, yeah, it was the first time he was getting into the car. Um, and I was tasked with helping him um, develop so that he could drive the car, make sure he was keeping on top of things on a test day because he's jumping from a, an F2 car or a GP2 car at the time to a, uh, an F1 car. It's a yeah. big step and uh, just needed to make sure he was, he was ready for it. Um, what was that step um, like physically? GP2 to back then is a bit different now. Uh, yeah, to, uh, it was big. My, my first year at, uh, at McLaren, they were still 
uh, running the V10 engines, and then they went to a V8. Um, and when Lewis jumped in the car, it was a V8, and it was an incredibly powerful car. Um, for him, he was he was very very focused. He had a lot of support and advice over the years, so he was he was ready um, as as ready as he could be. Uh, yeah. He's still like every driver that gets into a Formula One car and is expected to do seventy plus laps in a in a test day. Mm-hmm. They're still tired at the end. You, yeah. you can't get away from it, um, and it's not always a, a physical tiredness. Uh, quite often, it's the mental tiredness because of the, the demands on on them mentally to adapt to what they're required to do. The, the number of buttons and, and knobs and things on the steering wheel is just go through. Those that the new engineers are going into, um, and you know the prospect of this could be his career. You know, yeah. This could define his career. There's a lot of pressure involved. So mm-hmm. mentally, they're they're very very tired, and we just need to try and keep on on top of that and uh, and help them through it. Absolutely, I, I get that. I, I did a test. Uh, I remember one with a rookie driver at the Abu Dhabi test, and it's you just they're on the radio all the time, aren't they? Telling them to change settings. It's like five six times a lap, and this kid's trying to learn how to drive the car, to not screw up, to try and make a good impression, and everything's tense. And I'll tell you what, by they had eight sets of tires, new tires ready for him. And he got to set two. <laughs> by the time he'd done set two, it was the neck had gone. And then obviously, because he's tense and worrying even more, it makes it worse. Yeah. But he's literally, as soon as I hit the brake, my head goes forward and I can't pick it up. It's gone. Yeah. And this kid was not unfit. He trained, he'd done big cars before. And it's like, oh my goodness, what, what a shame. So we had to come back from that. But still, it was a... Uh, Mentally, it's a big deal. It puts so much pressure on you. It is. And I think, um, I mean, Lewis was a, a special talent. Obviously, we, we know his record now. But uh, even even recently, I think Pedro, because Pedro was at that test as well. We were running two cars. He's recently come out and said that um, after the first first run on, on tyres, he looked at the data and he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got a chance of partnering Alonso next year. This is This is my opportunity. After yeah. the second run, Lewis had topped the timesheet, um, oh. and Pedro knew he was in trouble. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he was quick. Um, there's, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, and and my big part of my job was to just try and not overload him with information and to keep him calm. Yeah, uh, and to just make sure he was physically ready every time he got in the car. Yeah. Well, I mean, you told me you went golfing with him as well, right? And you noticed something about his mindset, because obviously mindset for me is massive. Um, it's everything I do now. Um, tell us a bit about that when you played golf against him, compared to a lot of drivers. I mean, he's, he's just ultra competitive. I, I played golf fairly regularly back then, so, um, so I, was, I was hitting the ball quite well. And um, instead of getting frustrated... He, he asked for a little bit of advice. He said, why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, and then he took that advice and he just actioned it straight away. And in the, the, the back nine, um, he was a lot, lot better. And it was very, very close between the two of us in the end. His ability to um, take on information, process it, and then action it very, very quickly. Um, and that, that for me was a, a massive... Uh, a massive part of why he's so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, he is competitive. He didn't like the fact that I beat him. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he was humble enough to say, 
I was the better golfer. It's not his sport. I mean, yeah. if I sat in a car next to him, I wouldn't expect to get anywhere near him. So <laughs> that's something you notice, right? In the gym, uh, when you're training, when you're on the bike with them or whatever, their character traits there, you see them on the track, right? It's like, yeah. I can pretty much predict how your career is going to go by the yeah. way you are in the gym. Is that correct? Yeah. Cause I, I see it all the time, but is it the same for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and particularly, particularly as the, the kids are coming through from, say, 15 onwards, um, as they're really starting to mature, um, you know, other other interests are coming into their life, whether it be whether it be girls or boys or you know other other things, other pressures, schoolwork, and, and things like that. They they all have an impact on on their performance and the performance in the gym because you're stressing them and you're putting them into stressful situations where they're having to dig deep, they're having to work hard, the personality traits come out. Yeah. And you might find somebody who gives up very quickly. You might find somebody who's ultra competitive. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, take Liam, for example, Liam Lawson. Uh, I took him to a, a country park near me to do some hill reps. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew the hill and it's not a very nice hill. Um, it's quite steep, it's undulating um, in places and it's, it's hard. Uh, and I said, look, I'll do the first one with you. You sit behind me and I'll pace it out for you so that you've got an idea. Um, because he's so competitive, halfway up, he came flying past me. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't help but laugh as he went past me because I knew that he's going to get to the top and he'll regret that. You're the best, um, yeah. But it shows his, his mentality is even though it wasn't a competition, in his mind it is. Yeah. Um, and he has to push himself and he has to go hard. Um, and I've set him a couple of challenges where I've, um, I've set him a time on a row machine or uh, for a particular set of lifts, I've set a time and said, that's your time. That's what you've got to be. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and he, he really goes for it. He still yeah. can't be on a row machine, but... <laughs> Yeah, even honestly, even when we go into the hotel room, walking up steps, it's always a race to the top step. Yeah, everything is so. But I've noticed that about a lot of people that are, yeah, Mansell was the same. You always hear it, it's the competitiveness in everything. Uh, Alec Glenn was the same. We used to play so many Who is that? little games. Sorry? Who was that? Alex Lynn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we used to play so many games on a race weekend because there's a lot of downtime and, you know, quite often it involved a ball and. You, I remember once we were sat in the hotel room and it was how many, how many different angles could you get the ball to come off and land in the bin? Um, <laughs> and we'd sit there, me, Alex and his manager, we'd sit there for, for ages just trying to do this and, and it turned into a huge competition. And then, um, you know, it, because, because somebody won that and it wasn't Alex, it was like, right, what's the next competition? And what's the next competition? What can we do now? How can we make it harder? What can we do? Um, like and, it. and it is that is inbuilt in them. That's that's what makes them the the competitors that they are. Um, yeah. And to a certain extent, it's great, but you do have to harness it a little bit and be able to focus and use it when it's necessary. Yeah. But also remain calm enough to uh, to not burn yourself out like Liam did. Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's, 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 if it's a personality trait and it's wrapped up in ego about I'm better than you, then it becomes a problem. And the, the, yeah. the kid is obviously uh, easily dented then when they have a tough teammate. Not these guys you just mentioned, but 
yeah, you see it a lot. I'm competitive, but with with yeah, an athlete. I've worked with a lot of drivers that are super, super talented, very, very competitive. And even though, you know, you say they've not necessarily had their egos dented or anything, but if they are with a teammate who happens to have a good weekend, you know, just out of the blue has a good weekend, yep. you do have to pick that driver back up. Yep. Um, even though he's super competitive, really confident, has a big ego. Yep. You still have to pick them back up now and again because ultimately they're, they're kids or young adults and they're still learning and growing and, and dealing with emotions and, and things going through their body that they're not necessarily used to and not used to being able to control. Um, 100%. I saw that with you this year. Um, you obviously with drivers all over the place, but there's one driver who really struggled and we don't know why. and He doesn't know why. And that was mainly your role. It was getting him in the mode and so, you know, even though things are not going to plan, um, it's square. It's, it's back to reset. Let's get you in the car so you're at your best. And that was pretty much the whole season. So yeah. I, I saw it. You do it. It's what I do as well. But I saw you doing it on a different angle and using fitness as well. But yeah. Especially the warm up you were doing with him was really focused yeah, on that. We, yeah, he. In one particular race this year, he was he was very quiet. He wasn't he wasn't in a good place and. I, I just thought, right, we're going to have to change something in, in your warm-up here because yeah. you're not ready. You're not switched on. You don't want to be here because you, you're not having the best time. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think you saw it. I think you probably laughed about it um, because I, I, I got the boxing pads out. Oh, I remember it. Um, I remember him coming then, along, yeah. Um, and and he, I just, you know, he's throwing a few jabs and I'm just you know, taking the pads. Um, and then I didn't hit him too hard, but I just hit him on the shoulder. <laughs> and, and he just suddenly looked at me with wide eyes. I said, well, that's woken you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. I just hit him with the shoulder. Um, yeah. And I've not hit him hard, but it's enough for him to go, oh, okay, we're, we're doing something different here. This is, this is serious. And, and it's important that you, you find those little triggers. And he had a good week. He had a good qualifying. He didn't have the best of weekends, but he... You know, he showed that he's got the performance in him. Yeah, um, he definitely has. Yeah, and uh, and you've got to find little triggers with each, with each individual, um, and everybody's different. Yep, uh, everybody is different. Uh, when it comes to warm ups, um, you might find somebody who likes something really high intensity, really wants to get the heart rate up, yep. wants to be bouncing around, really energetic. That's fine if that's what works for you. You have other drivers who actually, if you raise their heart rate too much and overstimulate them, then they can't think clearly in the car. Absolutely. And they're too close. Break and they're, they're turning in too early and it's, it yeah. all becomes messy. Um, so you have, to, you have to understand each individual. And that. You do. What, what, it's exactly what I do, and you probably do the same, is um, it's when I first start with a driver. It's always, you know, explain to me exactly what you were thinking, what mental state, what was your focus, um, everything when you're underperforming or you're overdriving or you're a complete mess or stressed. Yeah. And we paint that picture of that person. Okay, that means, okay, we, we know what to avoid. And we give that person a name, a bit of a, 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 a name that mocks it in a way. And then on the second side, tell me some of your greatest performances. And we pretty much then map out or decode that person and give that person a name. And usually that person is, I don't think much things start to happen. I feel confident, relaxed. So you get, it's a lot simpler and shorter than this guy who's stressed. 
And this is what basically, okay, we've got to put this person in charge before the race starts. And then like you say, there's 10 ways to get there. Um, yeah. This person might want meditation. It could be anything, but you're right. Everyone's so specific, but it's just to make sure that when they're in the car, they're at that optimal state. And obviously physically because of the, you've got to have oxygen in you. So a little uh, exercise and getting the blood pumping. It's just good. So you don't get injured as well, isn't it? Stretching. Yeah. So what kind of stretches do you do? And things like on that. Uh, in terms of stretching, um, go to's for pre-event stuff. I'm, people might disagree with me. Other coaches and things might disagree with me. Um, I, I'm not a fan of a static stretch when it comes to pre-event work. Um, yep. I feel it it makes you feel sluggish. So we would do more mobility-based work, um, some active range of motion. And then, uh, and then we'd build in some form of resistance into into those as well. But again, this is also very specific. So, um, I've had a I've had a driver who didn't like to do anything with his legs. Yeah. Um, and we would do the bare minimum with his legs. Uh, we would we would work on some range of motion around the hip joint, around the knees and the ankles. Um, but you wouldn't get him doing a few squats or any lunges or anything like that to really get those muscles switched okay. on. And yeah. because he felt that it made him heavy and not as reactive on on the brakes um and that for me was a, a a nice bit of feedback from him but it made me have to think about right what can i do because i know physically this lad needs blood pumping around his legs he needs to work on his flexibility he needs to get that range of motion but i don't want to overstimulate him so that he feels like he's not ready or he's yeah, he's disadvantaged because of something we've done in, in the warm up. So, it even though I would say, yeah, these are my go to moves, <laughs> you have to be very careful because it doesn't work for everybody. Otherwise, we, we use a lot of bands. Um, so, we use resistance bands, um, shrugs, uh, squats, lunges, uh, rows, all those sorts of things. But going through a nice range of motion. I like to, to add in some reaction work, either with balls or reaction lights, um, but also with them maybe off balance, maybe on one leg, maybe yep. you bring somebody else into it, so it's three people, or you, know, you just you change, the, change the, the, the exercise each week to mm -hmm. a certain extent. You, you change a little bit of it. You might get them moving around whilst you're doing the, the thing, yep. because it's so easy to do the same reaction based session before um, before they drive. Mm -hmm. And because they do it every week, week in, week out, they've got used to it. Yep. So it doesn't actually stimulate them, doesn't wake them up. So you have to come up with little changes now and again. And, uh, and that's the thing that really makes them. Okay, and I suppose just one more bit on that. It can be car specific, right? So if you've got a car that really works with shoulders, you've got another one that's all neck. Yeah. So you just, you stretch them rather than and gently wake them up, right? Them areas. Uh, I mean, in terms of the neck, yeah, I would, I would always start with uh, again a little bit of range of motion, and we'd go into some some stretches. Yeah. Um, but then, by the time you've done the stretching, the neck's all nice and loose. But then you need to switch it back on. So you would do some resistance work, whether you use a band or whether you just use your own hand and you press mm -hmm. against. There's so many different ways of cool. of doing it, and. Um, again, that comes down to a little bit of personal preference. Some people love to use a band. Other people hate having a band around their head. Um, yeah, I don't think Liam's a fan of the, the band around his head. No. Um, 
<laughs> but he, he does it because it, it's what's required. Um, but that's interesting, but yeah, actually, because you um, that that's like a service alone. It's like I'm going to go and see Matt just to get my warm up right. This is what yeah. I like. This is what I race, and it's actually worth just doing that alone. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, right, I could be doing something completely different. That's actually not helping, and it's just yeah. it's cool. Or just I'm just I'm yeah. skipping, but I don't know why I'm skipping. That sort of thing, I you think, know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, you see a lot of people that do things. Um, you know, I've seen drivers sprinting up and down the paddock in their race boots. Yeah. Race boots aren't designed for running. They're, they've got so little cushioning to them. You know, they're designed for, to give you feel on the brake pedal and on the accelerator. They're not designed for high impact work of running up and down a paddock. So there's more chance of an injury doing those sorts of things. So it's, it's giving the drivers the advice so that if you are going to do your warm-up do it in your normal trainers if you yeah. want to put your race suit on then fine put your race suit on but also bear in mind that your race suit is restrictive in its movements so certain things you won't be able to do really good uh, point. yeah what about hydration and things like that in general for tips of drivers what to get what they need in their drinks and things like this what would you say uh, overall um, everyone's big- different in terms of a product, um, I'm a big fan of um, H2 Pro for precision hydration. It comes under two names. Um, their, their products are really good and they can be um, specific to each individual. Um, I, I think they're a, a great product. Um, my personal preference is when you wake up in the morning, you would preload with, uh, with a high concentration um, hydration drink uh, over breakfast and then if it's a standard sort of mild day you would then alternate between uh, between water and a lesser concentrated hydration drink Um, if it's a very hot day then you would probably um, go with uh, go with water and a slightly higher concentration and then you would probably preload again just after lunch yeah. So that you've got enough within there, but you'd always monitor um, their their hydration levels. There's several ways you can do it. You can do it by body weight, or you can do a simple visual test where the driver goes to the toilet and it tells them tells you the color of his urine, and you you can do it that way. Okay. Um, so there's, there's several ways we can look at it, but that's for me, for a young driver, um, color of your urine is the the op- easiest way to to see if you're hydrated or dehydrated absolutely um, okay uh, always bear in mind if you've had something like baraka it does change <laughs> it does <laughs> big time you're like oh my god i'm actually yeah what the hell is yeah. that it's neon. not necessarily dehydrated after you've had that <laughs> yeah very true i noticed that how about food in general again <laughs> uh what's the uh the kind of mindset behind that if there's no allergies or anything yeah on a race yeah um food's actually a really difficult one in motorsport um because depending on what level you're driving at depends on what food is available to you at a circuit um if you go to i mean as we've seen this year f2 f3 level uh it's in the hospitality and it's whatever is put out there and it's not always ideal food um so education on good choices is is the biggest part uh, for me. Um, as we've seen, probably three out of four days on an F2 weekend, there's pizza available. Oh, yeah. Um, pizza, pasta, pizza, pasta. Pizza, pasta, pizza, pasta. Um, 
you know, occasionally a little bit of rice. There's lots of salad, but there's always lots of salad because drivers don't seem to want to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's loads yeah. of that left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it is about understanding, understanding portion size when it's on a plate. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that when you go to uh, the canteen or whatever and somebody says, oh, yeah, you should have pasta. Pasta, pasta, pasta. It's a great sport fuel. Have, have pasta. And you just have a big bowl of pasta and you put a little bit of cheese on top. And then Why? you're asleep 20 minutes. Why is my question? Um, you, if you're looking at the macronutrients of, of fats, proteins, carbohydrates, where's your, your balance in that? You've got yep. an awful lot of carbohydrates. You've probably got a little bit of, uh, of fat in there as well, depending on what source you're in. There's very little protein involved in that. Um, And protein is essential for uh, sports performance, uh, maintaining and growing muscle tissue. Um, You know, these are essential parts of it. But that doesn't mean you completely cut out carbohydrates either. Carbohydrates are are required for brain function. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have carbohydrates, if you just have salad with some chicken, then you might feel a little bit foggy in the brain later in the afternoon. So it's, it's understanding the balance between those things and making sure that you, you're just making good choices. Um, yeah, good. I, I much prefer um, things like chicken, fish, uh, rather than red meat on a, on a race weekend. Red meat, again can make you feel quite sluggish. It can take a lot longer to digest. Um, and when you've got steak in your stomach, your, uh, your blood will go to your stomach to help digest and, you know, use that nutrients around the body. Yeah. Whereas we actually want that blood in your muscles doing mm-hmm. what it's supposed to do and, yeah. uh, and getting the fuel, uh, around your body. So the, yeah, it's, that's a personal preference. Some people will say I'm talking rubbish in a, a good state. Oh, means you open the can of worms on diet. Oh my god, oh, yeah. um, we'll be here all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've tried. I've tried to simplify that as much as possible because there's a lot more science involved in in that, and we could go into yeah the breakdown of, of proteins into amino acids and good bits and pieces. But it's uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> And you, know, you, got like say, against, um, you got nothing against supplements and protein bars and things, right? As long as it's not the off-the-shelf Tesco stuff. As and when required and always batch tested. Yeah. Explain um, what batch testing is because you actually taught me this a few years ago. I didn't even Yeah, so um, it's very easy to just, like you say, go into Tesco, pick up a, a protein bar and go, oh, brilliant, 17 grams of protein in this one. Chocolate flavor, great, love that. Um, But not all products are batch tested and they're all made in warehouses where they can get contaminated by other products within that that warehouse. Um, And as athletes, you can get drug tested. um, And if there is trace amounts of a certain drug within your system, you can be banned or disqualified from sport. Um, If you have a product that has the informed sport logo on it then that is a batch tested product which means that uh, each batch has has had a proportion of that batch sent off to be tested by informed sport they then uh, log everything that's within it 
So if, if you do have something within your system um, and they say, right, we're going to ban you and, and things, and it happens to have come from that batch, you have not a get out of jail free card, but you have a cause to, to go to them and say, yeah. no, this wasn't, this wasn't yeah. my fault. You know, I've taken a, a tested mm-hmm. product and, and you're just protecting yourself in the, in the best possible way. Um, and it is really important to, to understand and take the responsibility for, um, for banned substances. Um, it is really, really important. Um, up until probably four years ago, I would say it was very, very rare for uh, young drivers to be drug tested. Um, in the last four years, it has got more and more common. Um, so much out there now as well, product-wise. So it must you can probably catch virtually everyone out at some point. I've kept asking questions, and I knew I would. So we got to McLaren. You did all that. What after? I won't keep you too long now, but just... Uh, just oh, no, no. I've got, I've got ages, mate. So um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, after I left McLaren, um, because uh, they, the FIA, in their wisdom, cut costs, and uh, that meant the end of the test team. So uh, I was... I was shortlisted to work with Lewis. Um, unfortunately, I'd ruptured my cruciate ligament in my knee. Mm. So um, that uh, that meant that I, I was straight out of running because uh, I couldn't do any training with him. So uh, yeah. yeah, so I left. Um, and then uh, interestingly, I got this. Lewis is a really interesting character for me. Uh, and a lot of people, you either love him or hate him. Um, and, uh, and knowing him from a young lad, um, he was quite timid, um, but then he he got given the, the Formula One drive. And after I left McLaren, six months later, um, Red Bull asked me to cover for sickness at a test in Jerez. Um, so I went there with Mark Webber and Sebastian Guaymi, another driver, first time in the car. Um, yeah. <laughs> seems a bit of a running theme with me. Um, <laughs> and I saw Lewis in, in the hotel, and uh, and he was he was very changed from the kid that I knew six months ago who was incredibly enthusiastic um, and just wanted to do well he now looked like a a very almost scared teenager and didn't know know who to trust who to talk to and even though we'd spent all of that time together um, because I was in a Red Bull uniform didn't want to spend much time talking to me (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was a lot of pressure weren't it he was straight yeah. in at the deep end though oh my a lot God. of pressure and I think um, you know the fact that within days of him being announced as a Formula 1 driver he's meeting Nelson Mandela Nelson Mandela and P Diddy and all these other people I think that's I think for anybody at any age that is that is huge and that is such a, a big lifestyle change and to have an impact um, funny enough I spoke to another uh, trainer of his it was Adam Costanzo yeah yeah you remember him and he said there was one time that they had to it was literally like being a, a boy band they had to hide behind this car as the girls were looking for him because they were yeah. chasing him basically and they had to duck behind these cars I think it was yeah. until they passed and like oh my goodness that's not normal for an F1 driver actually so he obviously found no. him he, he was just forced into the spotlight and yeah. this is a kid who at the time of him being given the, the race seat at McLaren, he just wanted to drive cars. 
Yeah. He just loved driving cars and he just wanted to race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he'd fully thought about everything that was going to come with it. And I, I don't think the world had really thought about how it was going to change him, you know, yeah. being the first, the first black racing driver in Formula One yeah. um, and how that just thrust him into the spotlight um, and the expectation on his shoulders. I mean, he was expected to become a multiple world champion. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, luckily enough, he, he's done it and he's, he's had a great career. But you know, I think um, people are very, very quick to judge Lewis. Um, and I, I think you have to take a step back and think about what he's actually gone through oh, and man. how his life has changed and, um, and the pressures that were put on his shoulders as a sort of 18, 19 year old. Um, Most of the people that judge wouldn't last a second in these people's lifestyles. They think they would, but it's it's not what they think. The pressure is immense, and um, it's the same with everything. We all do it. Everyone's done it at some point. You judge somebody who's up there. Um, It could be a singer. It could be an actor. It could be any kind of sports person. We all do it. But, yeah, you try and live in their life, and you all of a sudden say, oh, it's not actually what I thought it would be. I think also because Can't trust he, he had such a rise and um, he did a couple of interviews and, and I think he was slated a little bit in the press. Um, I think that hurt him a lot and he yeah. then reverted back to, okay, I'm just going to give you some stock answers. When you ask me a question, I'm just going to toe the corporate line and, and give you a, a stock answer. I'm not going to show you any personality because when I do, you actually... yeah against me so and and i think a lot of um a lot of formula one teams and, and uh, managers and coaches and, and things have, have actually learned from that mm-hmm. because we, we now put in place things to try and help the drivers when they have to do their media work and when they're, they're talking to sponsors or whether, when they're going for for big meetings you're, you're helping them and, and getting them to understand how how to act and, and what to say and and what not to say, um, and uh, and also social media. The, the birth of social media has just put everybody in the spotlight. Um, Lando's done well with that. Lando has literally said, "This is me," and he's stuck yeah. to it. And that is so difficult for people. Plus, yeah. he's got a sense. Um, he's got a character about him, personality, yeah. which is really good. Um, yeah. But that's very rare. You know, yeah. most drivers they they're just trying to not upset anybody, and in doing that. Yeah. They I think we've gone through a bit of a transition through the last sort of 10 years of drivers not showing any personality. And then you, know, you had the sort of Mark Webber who showed a little bit, yeah. me very little. Yeah. Um, you know, Vettel would only ever show some annoyance and mm-hmm. nothing else. But then as they've grown and developed and become more comfortable with themselves, yeah. Lewis has shown a little bit more. You know, Ricciardo's come out and he, he's happy oh, and, and he, yeah. he shows great personality. Yeah. And I think now we're, we're getting this transition where actually the teams are allowing them to express themselves a little bit more. Yeah. But you go back to the days of McLaren and Ron Dennis, it was, you know, this is what you say. Mm-hmm. You don't say anything else. That, yeah. that, um, and a lot of the other teams followed suit. Red Bull, when they first came in, they were complete opposite. They were they the were party mad. team. Yeah, completely. But they've kind of gone through a transition as well, where they've gone, no, we're going to be professional, and now, okay, we're going to let the driver speak a little bit. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, Vettel, he used to come and see when he was just in F one, just got there. He used to come down and see all our boys on the scholarship, um, on the Formula BMW scholarship. I used to look after them. 
and he used to come down, answer their questions. And he was hilarious. He's got a British sense of humor, really. Um, he was so funny. And I was like, I don't even though he's still got a character in F1, you don't see that side. And when yeah. you're working with the drivers behind the scenes, they're just so different to what they look on yeah. camera. But yeah, I yeah. think they, they're so nervous about what to say and what not to say. Yeah. That you, you don't get much out of them. Um, job, mate, if you say the wrong thing. Lewis, I've, I've said this quite a, quite a lot over the years. If you ever wanted to see the real Lewis, you would see him with his brother. With yeah. his brother. And that is when you see the real Lewis. Um, so true, mate. It's so true. I did when I was racing. I can't remember when I was racing. He was in F3. I was in GT. So we're on the same weekend. Yeah. And he'd be, he would go to the driver's briefing, pushing his driver, uh, sorry, his uh, brother around. And he was yeah. Mr. Carer. I was like, yeah. that is a beautiful kid. It was the very first time I saw him. I uh, didn't really meet him, just said hello and each time and things like that because he didn't know what trajectory he was on actually then. But still, it was that. Um, and actually, his trainer said he was very spiritual when he was with Nicole. It was both of them really spiritual and you'd yeah. never guess it. So, yeah, I, I, I hear that. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, they're all, they're all very different. Um, so, yeah, so we go from, go from uh, McLaren into a little bit of Red Bull. Um, I then worked with Jamie Green in DTM yep. um, and Alex Lynn. I was with Alex for five years from British F3 all the way through to uh, winning Macau, being on Red Bull Junior, going to F2 uh, or GP2 as it was then. He still uh, trains with you guys now, right? AWP still trains? Yeah, he does, he does bits with us. Um, he, uh, he, he does a lot of his training on his own. He, yep. he knows he's been well taught. So <laughs> he knows what he needs to do. <laughs> no. um, uh, I've also worked with uh, Jake Hughes uh, when he was in F4. He was F4 champion then. Uh, he Ollie looks Rowland. like one of the fittest on the F3 grid at the minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jake, uh, Jake loves his training. Um, again, he, he, I trained him, and then he went to Jerry Convey um, because they they both live in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he still talks to Jerry now about his training and, and things, but he does a lot of it himself. Um, he's fascinated by training, he just loves it, uh, loves yeah. going out on the bike, same as Alex, Alex loves yeah. going out on the bike. Um, Ollie Rowland, um, he, uh, in F2, he was, he was good to work with, uh, different from a lot of others, um, yeah. different challenges, but, uh, but a really nice lad, and obviously he's, he's stepped up into Formula E now, and he's, he's doing very well. Yeah. Um, and then uh, for the last... Four years, I've been working with the Renault Academy drivers. Uh, so that, that's included Max Futrell. Um, he was EuroCup champion. Christian Lungard, he was rookie champion in the same year. The Oscar Piastri this year, F3 champion. So um, yeah, It's a good squad, actually. But what are these boys doing now? Because, well, a lot of them have finished the season, right? Um, are they just prepping for the next car kind of thing? And that, yeah. that changes what you train them? Yeah, uh, so... Because of everything that's happened this year, obviously the, the seasons have been changed around and, and everybody's yeah. trying to adapt to, to the new schedule. Um, with F3 finishing so early and F2 still got several races to go, um, I would not be surprised if you saw some of the F3 drivers on the F2 grid for yeah. the last two Bahrain races. Yeah. Um, I think Jake has already stepped up to F2 in Sochi. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you heard about the difference uh, physically from F3 to F2? 
with the new uh, wheels and tires, I think everybody was expecting it to be incredibly heavy. Um, the feedback we've had is that it's actually not that much different okay. to, to how it was before. Um, what a lot of drivers in F2 find is that um, tire deg gives them more of a physical problem than anything else. Okay. Uh, and that is much more noticeable in F2 than it is in F3. Yeah, uh, and uh, and it's having having the control and the strength to be able to manage that late in a race, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, also leg strength, explosive power in the legs. Yeah, um, it's a bigger, heavier car. You got to stamp on the brake a lot harder, get it to stop. So to be able to to go from an F3 car uh, to an F2 car and still have fantastic braking performance. Yeah. Um, so we work a lot on explosive leg power, um, upper body strength. Obviously, you know that I've just had Liam in the gym yeah. this week, um, and we were we were working specifically on some local muscular endurance um, of his shoulders. So we had him a bit, a bit like I am now, but slightly more reclined in a seated yeah. position with a with a disc weight in front of him, which was attached to some bands. Yeah. Um, and he would he would press it like he was doing a chest press, and then he would lift the weight up and down, mm-hmm. and then he would have to rotate as if he's yep. steering. Um, yep. And obviously, we do sets and reps and, and things to try and replicate things that he would be doing in the car, and the the likelihood of his shoulders getting very very tight towards the end of a race. So that's what we've uh, we've been working on this week, and uh, his his feedback from that was quite interesting. Um, yeah. He said probably one of the hardest um, hardest shoulder sets he's ever done. Um, it was a bit, and, what uh, was the weight? Was it like a five, but big? It's only five kilo disc, um, but he's on the resistance band as well. So yeah. Yeah. you've got, you've not just got the weight of, of, the, of the disc, you've also got the resistance from the bands um, yeah. And, yeah. and how that plays a part in, in all three of the movements. So uh, good, yeah. I love that. It's not, a, not an easy one. Um, obviously, neck strength we've been working on as well. Um, and there's, there's several different neck routines that, that we use to uh, to develop that strength. So Good. Um, that sounds good. Liam, it's, it's super easy because he's not a big driver. Yeah. Um, he's, what, 173 in height. So he's not, not huge. If you look at someone like uh, Alex Lynn, he's 184. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more... We have to play around with, um, yeah. and you have to sacrifice in some areas because you need to keep the weight down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you can get there. Um, it's a constant argument with engineers because they want you as light as possible, but yeah, uh, yeah they need some meat. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You need you need you need the strength. You need the endurance. Um, there's no point having a really low body fat percentage uh, and not being able to concentrate or um, have mood swings and things like that, and more risk of, uh, of illness. Um, yeah. So there's, there's no point in doing that if uh, if it's going to hinder your performance. Cool. No point being light. Um, if it's okay. Make so what's next for you then? Have you got drivers in? You've obviously just opened a gym, which is where you are now. Kind of just. Yeah. Opened. So this uh, we we opened two gyms uh, during lockdown. Yeah. Um, we we changed our 
our, our business plan. We were going to open one big gym. Uh, yeah. Instead, we opened two slightly smaller ones. So we've got this one uh, that I'm in, which is near Loughborough, uh, so not too far from Donington Park. Um, yeah. And then uh, we've got another one in West Sussex, um, down where Andy, my business partner, lives. Um, so he's uh, he's down there. He he has drivers like Enam Ahmed, Billy Munger, uh, and, and a few others that go in there along yeah. alongside some cricketers. So we've got people like uh, former cricketer Matt Pryor goes in there as well, okay. um, and things like that. So we we have branched out into some other sports. Um, I think I've mentioned to you this year that we're we're involved with um, British Superbikes. Yeah. So we've got bikes, which is a a, a very very different. Um, form of motorsport and, yeah. and the way that those guys uh, ride a bike and the physical challenges that are involved in that are um, yeah, completely different to I to think driving. I told you I did a bike once not me uh, I trained uh, I coached someone who did Moto3 okay and it was so different the, the, they're, they're bloody animals absolute yeah. animals they're just the general feel of the place you know someone comes up they get flung up and they just walk back to the pit lane because turn one and then just get straight back on another one you're like oh my goodness and just yeah. the the styles that they go into when you're teaching a race driver it's you pretty much stick to this line you break here you do this but they're taking in because it's all different chassis and different styles and stuff they're taking in like three different driving styles or riding styles into the corner yeah. So if you're trying to coach them, you have to know exactly what an Aprilia has to be driven like. Yeah. It's really technical, but their their mindset was obviously what I was there for, and it was phenomenal. Compared yeah. to the average race driver, it was uh, it was more warrior-esque, put it that way. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely unbelievable in their, yeah. their approach. Um, you know, I, I was at a race last year. One of the riders came off, um, came off heavy as well, and... Um, yeah, we sat down after he'd been to the medical center and said, right, okay, well, talk me through what you're feeling, what's going on, where where are you in pain? He went, oh, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you're okay? You've just come off of Look at the replay. 90 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and his, his response was, he said, yeah, but the most painful thing, um, the thing that shook him up the most was actually the airbag going off in his, in his suit um, because he was in midair and the bag went off and he couldn't understand why he was in pain. He was yeah. still in the air. He hadn't hit the ground at that point. Um, and obviously the bag did its job and protected him. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he just said that, that was the biggest part of it. So go, oh, I'm absolutely fine. I said, if you can just do a bit of stretching with me and then we'll, uh, we'll get on, you the go. on the bike this afternoon. <laughs> and just as quick, just as quick through that corner, they've just come off. That's the thing. It's just, yeah, yeah it's part of it. It's not like, uh, yeah, I love it. So and the, the descriptions of of the physicality of riding a bike is is absolutely oh. incredible. When they come out of a corner and they accelerate, it is almost like trying to do a pull up with your fingertips. So they are holding on to the bar with their fingertips and they're trying to get as low as possible so that they can accelerate as hard as they can. And then just when they think they've got control of it, they've got to slam on the brakes, yeah. which is basically then doing a push up away from the bar as hard as they can to get the weight back on the, yeah. uh, on the bike to then throw it into a corner to then accelerate again and be holding on with their fingertips again as they're coming out of the corner. And that is what they do lap after lap after lap after lap. So their grip uh, and their, their forearms. Their grip, I mean, you can understand why, you know, a lot of these guys have problems with their forearms and, yeah. uh, and their shoulders and things. 
Um, and that, that's what they go through. Plus, you know, the fact that they, in certain corners, they're, they're hanging off the bike. They're really hanging off the bike. Their core strength is, is superb. Um, and a couple, of, a couple of riders that have had injuries in the past and they've come back, what they've noticed is that their core strength has diminished to a point where that's giving them more problems than anything else. Their, their injury, wherever their injury was, isn't a problem. It's the fact that they've lost that core strength. And, and that is a huge part of, of riding, riding the bikes. Um, so it's very different to cars. Yeah. Um, we do slightly different warm-up routines and, and things like that with those guys. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's just understanding the sport and making it sport-specific. Uh, yeah. And that, and that kind of goes into what we're doing um, over... Over this period now, we're we're looking at all of our all of our drivers and riders, and we're looking at their next steps. So, uh, so Liam, for example, what's he going to do next? How are we going to prepare for that? Um, what does he need to do? We've put that plan in place. Um, he's gone back to New Zealand now, so uh, we'll be doing some some sessions online with him. He'll have his training program to go through. Yeah, uh, and we're doing that with with a lot of our, our other drivers, uh, whether they're going back home whether they're going to stay in the uk um obviously current situation covid um might cause us some more issues <laughs> right mate it's come back so, big time isn't it yeah we don't know whether we're going to be forced to close the gyms again uh, then we are then forced to do everything online yeah um but we're we're better prepared for it now um, than, than we were before um, and it's it's so much easier for us to trans- transition between the two um, to a I'm point where we have got some drivers that haven't come back to the UK they've taken a year out of racing and we're still training them and their their performances when we've done fitness tests and things they're just getting stronger and fitter all the time which is yeah. which is great for us uh, great for them um, but we're we're looking at how, how we adapt how we change and uh there are going to be scenarios where we can't go to racetracks as we normally would. Um, yeah. you know, our, this year, I would have been at British F3 races, British F4 races, um, uh, Euro Cup races to, yeah. to see drivers and to speak to them and, and go through things. That's not been possible this year. Um, so like we spoke about the, the warm-ups and, and things and, and just from a consultancy side of things, helping people have all that knowledge um we're we're putting together a little pack now so that um people can contact us we can do it like this Mm -hmm. on a a call or they can come to the gym if we're allowed trackside maybe a test session or whatever then we can do it trackside and we can we can help these guys prepare properly um for for what's coming up and in particular now with with everything that's going on and and looking after your health and and your fitness is is vitally important um we've also started to uh give guidance on um on looking after yourself with regards to covid so the things that you should be doing um immune system as well right yeah but also just just simple things making sure you've got your hand gel with you all the time oh yeah yeah not just going up and picking up your food and going for it and you know just have a little bit of thought about it make sure that you are in a sterile environment make sure you've got the correct mask and, and all these bits and pieces and uh, it's very easy to forget about it mm-hmm. um, you know if we get wrapped up in the motorsport bubble yeah. um, we forget about the outside world and it's very easy to just forget about what's going on and, yeah. and the fact that there is this virus out there that, uh, that 
that is very harmful. So um, it's making everybody aware and just just getting those those protocols in place. Yeah, I hear it. And it's uh, yeah, that's good. obviously we're only on chapter two of that now, so we, we've got a long way to go. But as long as you're still adjusting, it's just every coach has had to do it as well. It's just going online and offering that and. It's actually yeah. working really well because I've got people in America racing and yeah. support them throughout the weekend. We do a debrief after the weekend and before it and prep. It's really efficient now. It's really working. Yeah. And they're, they're getting the gains. Okay, you're not there to see the... You're not there to read the way the weekend's going is good. You're getting... Af- everything's afterwards, but still, yeah. it's really valuable. So I'm glad you're doing that because it's yeah, uh, no, still no, allowing the drivers to grow. Yeah, and I think if we if we can put these protocols in place now, then when drivers do go into testing for their, their next season, they can they're not only testing the car, but they're testing the protocols we put in place, the warm-up routines, the, the nutritional guidance, the hydration. They can test it there. And they can then come back to us and say, Yeah, I liked it, but maybe we could just swap that out, or can we yeah. change this into a respect because it didn't quite fit with what I was doing and, and things and we just fine-tune it mm-hmm. so then when you go to a race weekend everything's normal yeah. and everything is, is set in place and you know that you need 20-25 minutes of preparation time before you get in the car or 10 minutes if it's only 10 minutes um, yeah. and that's that's how you you get the best out of an athlete is you test something whether it be the car whether it be the warm-up whether it be uh, a nutritional package you test it to make sure it works mm-hmm. you test it at the right time and then you implement it when then the time is right which is in the races so yep perfect have you got anything to leave us with last any advice <laughs> any advice any advice um apart from wash your hands and wear your mask yeah uh yeah look after yourselves um <clears throat> learn learn to listen to your body yeah, learn to listen to your body. Um, it's very important that as an athlete, you start to understand your body. Um, if you can get some kind of wearable device, uh, I wear the Whoop band, uh, which gives us lots of data, helps us with our, our sleep patterns. Yeah, um, get to understand the, the amount of strain and also the number of calories that you're using during the day. Yeah, which you feed back into your your daily life. Um, and if you can get that awareness young yep. then it becomes inbuilt as you become more of an adult um and then uh, and then it just sets you up on a, a good footing for for the rest of your life not That's only great. in racing but just in life perfect what a way to finish thanks matt thanks for everything no and uh good luck with the rest of this year and um, we'll see you at some point i'm sure can't stop me now